fellowship and at MIT in general? Was that something you had to apply for, or did it come to you? Yeah, uh, Tom Lutz, who used to head the writing, he reminded me a lot of me, he asked me if I was interested in mm -hmm. coming to teach at MIT, and I said, who wouldn't be? Do you guys know each other beforehand? No. Mm -hmm. He was reading the blog and reading some of my writing. Yeah. And are you teaching? I am. I'm teaching this semester. So I have one class uh, writing and reading an essay, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm greatly enjoying. About something being a sucker punch. Yeah. With the Romney campaign. Yeah. What was that about? It was about uh, they feel like they were talking about how they never saw uh, the female election coming, mm -hmm. and they felt sucker punched, quote unquote. And yeah. I was and have been sort of amazed. There was this thing going on in the election where, you know, these guys who were into stats and mathematics, a guy like Nate Silver, not just Nate Silver, you know, really done a pretty, pretty good job telling me what was going to happen. Yeah. And no one believed it. And I shouldn't say no one believed it, but there was a feeling that somehow, <laughs> like, these guys were simply reflecting some sort of liberal bias or something like right. that. And it's one of these things where if you, you know, believe something, you tell yourself something enough time, you know, you sort of come to believe it. Yeah. And um, the reality intrudes it. How those bubbles get formed? I mean, I, I, the liberals I consider myself in that camp. Like, well, I mean, we tend to think of ourselves being more right. uh, self-critical. Right. No, we did yeah. it in 04, though. I mean, the, the last time it happened actually was with John Kerry, where... People, for some reason, remember as an upset for Bush. He was not upset at all. Mm -hmm. If you go back and you look at the polls, the polls pretty much said Bush is probably going to win. Yeah. And that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't know. I think, like, there's a kind of righteousness that comes out of that, you know, sort of pose. Mm -hmm. You know, this feeling that you were cheated. Um, I don't know. We have, like, basic prejudices against information that challenges our particular worldview. Yeah. You know, um, I think that's just true of human beings, period. Yeah. I think one of the things that's happened with liberalism in the past 20 years, at least in media, like I've had a good chance to pretty study, pretty much study and observe liberal and conservative media, is liberalism has come to be about the fight, mm -hmm. the fights within. So you can have like a straight down line with your publication, like The Nation, but you also have publications like The New Republic, The Slate. These are sort of places where they sort of cut their teeth on being counterintuitive, right. you know, telling you what the other guy won't say. Right. You know, um, those are very, very different. You know, things and what's happening in conservative media right now, where the media pretty much exists to forward, I would go so far as the Republican Party. I mean, that's really where they are. And to the extent that you differ from orthodoxy, you know, you find yourself pushed out. Somebody like David Frum, who's writing for the Daily Beats, which is not, in any respect, a conservative publication. That's not what they're doing. Right. You know, why is he there as opposed to that, you know, a conservative? I was watching. Uh, the MSNBC coverage of election night, uh -huh. and when Rachel Maddow cut herself off to encourage people to switch over to Fox News, when Rose oh I didn't see this. I was watching the Fox News when that happened. Though. Yeah, so you were, you watched that? Live. I did. I saw what, that. what was your reaction? I thought it was the exact phenomenon we're talking about. Well, yeah. I thought Rove though he had something very different. I mean, he had money at stake, right? I mean, yeah. he had put all this money into saying this is what's going to happen. He had taken all this money from billionaires saying this is what's going to happen. Yeah. He's had nothing. I mean, he's hired as an analyst. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time that he's yeah. promoting. I don't know how, how that can be. Because, yeah. you know, he obviously has an interest in it. Going, and, I, and not just like an interest like, I'm a conservative, so I have an interest, but an interest like, I have money in this. Mm -hmm. Which I think is very, very difficult. Yeah. What do you think about 
like growing up in Baltimore compared to where you are now? Uh, it's very different. <laughs> it's very different. I didn't know what MIT was growing up in Baltimore. I had no sense of like what. I don't know. It's incredibly different. Yeah. It's very, very different. What were you when you were growing up? What was your uh, I don't know where it's a higher education. You know, you got uh, UMBC. And yeah, it was UMBC. I know a lot of things from the black schools around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew state schools because I like sports. <laughs> but that was about it. It wasn't particularly developed. I mean, it was the sense that I knew that my parents thought I should go to college and were pushing me to go to college and were pushing all their kids to go to college. I knew that. Yeah. Um, but I didn't like having any particular sense that I could ever go to a MIT or I didn't Columbia. I didn't even know like how to work that. You know? What do you think you're going to be able to get from the resources of the environment? Well, for, I tell you what, I get the most from the students. The yeah. kids just—I mean, watching them and how hard they work yeah. is deeply impressive and really, really, frankly, inspirational. Because I never worked at anything I thought when I was there. Mm-hmm. You know. So and you feel that way about the, their humanities work? Is it, is oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about my, my class, they work hard. Yeah. They work extremely hard, even though it's totally, like, it's not science at all. But I feel like I've tried to make that class, you know, one of the things that I think people say, not just here, but in general, is that the humanities tend to be easier than the sciences, which I always think is a shame because practicing the humanities is not easy at all. You know, if you want to be a world-class literary scholar or any sort of literary scholar of any repute, it's really hard. You know, um, if you want to be a world-class historian of any repute of James McPherson, it's a really hard job. And so um, the humanities, I strongly feel, should demonstrate that. They should reflect that. You know, it should not be the case that your experience in school is so far different from what your experience it would be out in the world if you tried to practice that often. Yeah. So I worked really, really hard to make the class challenging. Um, you know, as much as I can't come in, you know, the first time. Um, you, yeah, have you talked before? No, never. Yeah, never. What's that? Have you felt like you've had to learn a bunch of stuff on the fly as far as not really? I feel like it's, I think to some extent it's an advantage because you know, like the only thing I know how to teach is how I only know how to teach how it's practiced. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, to the best of my ability, try to emulate what my relationship would be with my editor and um, mm-hmm. the rigor with which you know uh, people who are in the field try to rigor with this with which actual essays. Yeah. Try to practice the craft. I try to pass that on them. I try to push them in that same direction. Right. You feel comfortable talking about the craft? I do, yeah. I've been doing it uh, 16 years now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, you know, I feel pretty confident. I'm, I'm, I still struggle. I got my MFA in town at Emerson. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and, you know, I've always been really, really good, particularly through Catholic school growing up. Right. At, you know, to teach people grammar and sentence right. structure and how to do almost like the paragraph level stuff. Right. And then I got a little bit better doing academic essays later in high school and then on college. But there wasn't a lot of talk about craft. Yeah, no, we talk about it all the time. We talk about sentences, like why some sentences are strong or why some sentences are not. Yeah. So you started at Howard? I did, yeah. I started, yeah. Uh, went to college there on and off for about five, five years. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> Is there a, a story behind that? Yeah, I started writing. Yeah. And I liked it so much. And I had never been a particularly good student and writing was the first thing I'd ever done that looked like a kind of career path that I was never good at. Yeah. What would you call your first success? 
like was it submitting a uh, piece and probably actually writing for the college newspaper. I mean, that, 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 you know, I felt you know, pretty successful. I started in the field of poetry. I had people who were older than me around me who told me I should keep going. Yeah. So that, that felt like success. Yeah. You know? um, That's kind of, I mean, I had influential teachings. It was, it was that way. Yeah, no, it's really important. I mean, at college, I just, you know, writing is done on your own time. You know, you don't have to sit, like, in a meeting, you know, for hours in it, as you do in a classroom. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very much a practice thing. Yeah. And I just, I really gravitated. I gravitated to the idea of doing something. You know, as opposed, like it's not a very theoretical form. You know, the rules are pretty simple. You just have to do them over and over again. The, the structure of your class. I mean, are they they're writing stuff, and then it, so like in my classes in grad school, right. people would write stuff. You'd have three people that turn it in stories. People would go home for the week and read them and make the comments, and then yeah, they, I mean, it's workshop. It's basically yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we for the first month we spent most of the first month reading other people's essays, mm-hmm. and the second month we did. Quite a bit of that still, and we've done quite a bit of that still. But then, by then, we're workshopping our own essays. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes we'll do sentence uh, sentence essays in class, and we try to write the strongest sentence possible, mm-hmm. possible about a certain project. Sometimes we'll have homework assignments. But today, we have workshop for the second essay. Yeah. 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 Obama as a conservative revolutionary. Yeah. Um, is there anybody else that you'd cite as an example of the same thing? I mean, plenty of people throughout African American history. I mean, Malcolm X was a conservative revolutionary. Yeah. Probably not in that sense, no. You know, Lincoln certainly was a conservative mm-hmm. revolutionary. You know, people who preside over momentous change, yeah. but do so in a really small, broad way, and without, and almost reluctantly preside over change. You know? yeah. um, and try to do it without upsetting society. Right. Yeah. You know? um, let's say Obama has changed the same. Right. Right. Do you feel like after the eight, after eight years of his presidency, that um, uh, people are going to look back over what he did? Uh, and, and I think so. I mean, I think he's been relatively effective, quietly, mm-hmm. you know, relatively effective. You know? mm-hmm. um, we'll see. I don't want to call that. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Um, this way around. What do you expect for your son? Uh, like, have you, well, let me let me step backwards and let's see. Okay. So, in your lifetime, have you seen like a straight line of improvement or a peak that's plateaued? Yeah, I think I wouldn't say a straight line, but yeah, you know, I've seen improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't expect him to think about the world in the way that I think about the world. You know, I don't expect him to think about race or ethnicity or any of that. I think about it. Yeah. You know, uh, we were raised in different times. He lives in a much more integrated world than I do. So I think it'll be different. So tell me a little bit about uh, Top Rank Crusades. Oh, that was it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a lot. I was shocked by how many people came out. Well, I think the seating fits maybe 150, 200 men. I think it ended up about 300, 400 people. So we had to turn people away, unfortunately. Um, which means we need to do something again really soon. Yeah. Um, it was good. It was good. It was good. And I thought uh, his message was all about, like, what the responsibility is of those who have access to elite institutions, elite education, power, etc. Yeah. Um, I thought bringing that here to MIT was pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, he was excellent. 
who's asking well, we're kind of some of the arguments that came. Uh, well, we talked about like uh, what what is an institution's responsibility, what is MIT, you know, what is MIT's responsibility, what is college's responsibility. Uh, are we in fact producing any leak that you know actually uh, reflects like this whole power responsibility thing that you know is of the quality that it needs to be? Do you even need any leak? Which was something I wish I had pushed them a little. Yeah. Um, whether any lead is even necessary for the country or not. Um, it was really good. And then the best thing was the next day he came to my class and talked to the kids, oh, cool. which I thought was just absolutely nice. Yeah. You know, so the election of President Obama back in 2008 right. was a very symbolic moment. Right. Um, I mean, what's next? If, <laughs> you know, like, what would, what would be meaningful to me is, like, if there was... Uh, an African American president that came from Southeast DC. Right. That, that, right. Would, that would be kind of right. our estimate. Right, 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 right. right, um, right. What's going to be. I, you know, I made the case that this was actually pretty badass. And we only, like, once it happens, you find reasons to make it an exception. Mm -hmm. But I think the test is not do we think, well, this is an exception to the rule now. Yeah. And had somebody told us this in 2002, we have said, well, that's just a no. We would have been amazed. Yeah. It would have been amazing something like this would have happened. Yeah. You know, um, so probably a woman. That's probably the next test. Yeah. You know, that probably very much is the next test. Um, right, is there anything else that you want to accomplish while you're at MIT? Is it just going around meeting a lot of people? Is it just teaching the class? Um, um, are there? Do they set any expectations? Is uh, an okay? No, I think they just want me to be a good citizen of the community, which is mm -hmm. what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Um, and I think even in my daily interactions, like, I, I just, I get so much, you know, having dropped out of college and, you know, been back on campus mm -hmm. and experiencing this, it's pretty amazing, actually. Let me, actually, let me think about some stuff that has more to do with your work. I mean, is there any way that you describe your style or your particular interests or contrast yourself with some of your peers? No, I have a very, I think, stated and obvious interest in history. Um, in the history of this country, and particularly the history of race in this country, yeah. um, that I really, really try to work out in my work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that'll continue. You know, that, that, that'll continue. I mean, I think if there's any difference, that's There's something specific about U.S. history you feel like that's been overly forgotten. Like you try to the bring Civil War. <laughs> the Civil War, what actually happened. I mean, I write quite a bit about the Civil War, mm -hmm. so yes, definitely. What, what about that? Well, just, um, you know, for a long time, we thought of it as this whole sort of brother against brother thing, this whole, you know, two honorable sides that fought and you know, that shouldn't be forgotten. Yeah. And when you look at the history, one thing that becomes fairly clear is it's not two honorable sides. Um, and in fact, it's something much, much darker. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, something much more beautiful, too. I mean, that you find about what we really were fighting for, yeah. you know, um, in the Civil War, but ultimately came out of that, you know. Like, what are the analogies you draw now between the Civil War and the not so much. You know, it's not like direct stuff. It's not, you know, because I think, like, the Civil War is a particular period. But more just the awareness of history and the notion, like, I try to draw lines, like, long, long lines. Like, in that field of Black Planet, you know, piece, if you want to understand birtherism, there's a more understanding of the relationship between race and citizenship, which is what the Civil War very much was about, which is what Lincoln ultimately died for, which would both, you know, state and his reason for killing him. Yeah. Um, so those sorts of things, I try to trace the long arc of history to yeah. make it clear that things don't just be right out of the way. Right. What kind of projects are you looking to do in the future? Just 
more books. Um, yeah, and just, I, I, I want to continue, I don't know what's next, but I want to continue to, you know, write pieces like that. I want to write, you know, pieces where I get to think for a long time. <laughs> you know, that's what I want my people to be. So I enjoy.